welcome to Slash Report. In case you've forgotten what my voice sounds like after an incredibly long unintended hiatus, I'm Prue and I'm joined by my equally tardy partner in crime. Hello, MK. Hi, it's been a very long <laughs> summer. It, it has been a very long summer. A very, very, very long summer. Which funny is reasons that don't bear exploration. I think we both, like, went off the rails simultaneously. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, it's not like we went away and had, like, a lovely summer. It's like everything was happening at fucking once for both of us, and we were like, nope. <laughs> I'm not done yet, either, is the thing. No, me either, but it's, it's better. continuous bullshit. <laughs> it's a little better. It's slight, it's amped down enough that I can, like, that we were both, like, Okay, it's probably time we get our act together on this. Yeah, we were like, it has, it's been, let's not talk about how long it's been, it's been a it's while. Been, it's been, who, you know, in the annals of geologic time, who really can count this as a break? Listen, it doesn't matter, because life is short. You shouldn't hold grudges against podcasters, is what I'm saying. Yeah, podcasters who have, like, shit happening. So much shit happening. So much shit. So don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We're we're back. We're here. You saw nothing. It was an illusion all that time. What's great is if people like just start listening to the podcast sometime after this, they won't even know. They'll just be like, yeah, that's the next episode. Yeah, it's exactly. They did not wait and wonder why we weren't talking about any of the things that were happening. Yeah. (laughs) Um... To that end, keep in mind that we've, like, banked a lot of questions, a lot of comments. There have been, like, a lot of topics that have occurred during this blink of an eye that we haven't been recording. And we're sort of, can't, we're sort of, like, very carefully selecting which topics we're going to go back on. Things that we feel like we can contribute, we'll touch on. Things that we really can't add that much to, we probably won't revisit. So um, to get us started, we're going to talk a little bit about some recent fandom things. We'll do a couple of questions, and then we're going to jump into the meat of this episode, which is actually recorded so many moons ago. (laughs) But was what I'm promised is a phenomenal Ask Us Anything where the words balls to the gaping asshole were used? Is that correct, MK? It is correct. And, like, honestly, guys, if you are following the Slash Report Twitter, you've been getting little tastes of this as I, like, painstakingly edit. It's been taking almost as long as the hiatus just to edit this episode. It, I mean, part of the problem is that, like, neither you nor I have any recollection of recording that episode. It's, like, it's gone. Like, yeah. the brakes dumped it. It's like listening to you and me from, like, a parallel universe where we recorded this, because I have no memory of it. So I'm listening to it, and I'm like, oh, man, this is great. You guys are funny. Our, our brains dumped the cash. All right, so to jump right into it, to talk about some media stuff that happened during um, our break, MK, do you want to talk about um, the biggest movie of the year so far? Jurassic World? Yes, my love. Okay. I don't, I don't pay attention to, like, how much money shit makes, but yes, Jurassic World. I'm, everyone loves Jurassic Park because that shit holds up. That was great. If you didn't see it, you should, like, find a copy somewhere of the original Jurassic Park. It's a great time, and it will explain a bunch of memes to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> very important. But more importantly, like, Jurassic World comes out, and I personally don't think that you need to have seen all of the Jurassic Park sequels. Like, you can just watch the first one and then go to this one, which is basically like, back in the day, 
They built a theme park because they were like, we can pull dinosaur DNA from mosquito frozen in amber or whatever. Does anyone not know this who isn't, like, currently still too young to watch the original Jurassic Park? Dude, somebody asked me what an AU was yesterday, so yes. She's fucking... Okay, continue. There's a whole new generation. We have to support them. I do not support youths, as evidenced (laughs) by my Twitter and Tumblr. Okay. Um, anyways, obviously, having live dinosaurs in a theme park is a terrible idea, and in the original... They escape and they start murdering everybody and, you know, watch that movie. Anyways, in the sequel, they're like, you know what, we've, we fixed that. We're still going to have dinosaurs. But don't worry, no one will, like, escape and murder anyone this time. And um, what they do is they decide to genetically engineer a new kind of dinosaur that has never existed before. And for reasons that, like, would never fly in the real world, the scientists won't tell management exactly what went into the DNA of this, like, mystery dinosaur. (laughs) Um, and, oh, they made two of them, but one ate the other one. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, so there's only one left, and it's been, like, alone in a cage forever until this awesome business lady brings in Chris Pratt and is like, Yo, they're a little concerned about security for this super intelligent, murderous dinosaur that we genetically engineered. Can you take a look? And he looks into the, like, enclosure, and he's like, I don't see a dinosaur. Isn't it supposed to be pretty big? And she's like, what are you talking about? And they have, like, infrared scans and whatever, and there's no dinosaur. And surprise, that thing escapes and starts murdering everyone, including Katie McGrath from BBC Merlin. Cool. So, let's wrap this up. Yes. Um, good, bad, worthy of watching. Um, I loved it. I loved it so much. The only thing that I would say is problematic in this movie, and I know you hate the word problematic, but, like, it really, like, it threw me out of the movie a couple times, mm-hmm. is there is a B-plot, which is essentially a woman isn't fulfilled unless she is married and has children. Okay. Um... And it's just, like, it's completely unnecessary and doesn't make sense in the context of the rest of the movie. But the rest of the movie is great. Cool. Yeah, so go see that. Or whatever. It's out now, isn't it? I don't know if it's in theaters anymore. But let's just wait for it to show up on streaming services. (laughs) Don't worry about the passage of time in this episode, guys. Yeah, time, time, time is a flat circle. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Next topic. Next topic. Uh, to stay on the Hollywood track, another um, movie that came out over the summer that we unfortunately did not talk about, which is a shame because I think it could have made like a really great episode of Dissection. And depending on who act- how many people actually want it, we may revisit it, is the phenomenal Mad Max Fury Road. Now, to go ahead and clarify, this was one of those movies that I saw first, so I texted MK after I left the movie theater and was like, this movie was so ball-achingly badass. Never go watch it. You would hate it. It's not for Um, me. (laughs) It's not for you, as the Penny Arcade uh, critics would say. It's um, for the people who, everyone listening to this has basically already heard the entire song and dance about Mad Max, how phenomenal it was the action in it how sort of subversively feminist and like the very clear message that men are destroying the world and maybe women are the ones who are equipped to save it um but it's not by running away it's by violent overthrow um all sorts of really interesting things went in there i thought it was visually beautiful 
I have never wanted to wear like steering column grease as war paint more in my entire <laughs> life. There was a comic going around right after the movie came out that I thought was so apt, which was that like in the first panel, it was like a couple driving to the Mad Max movie and they like look normal. And on their way from the Mad Max movie, like the car is totally fucking tricked out like a war rig. And both of them are like insane and have like war paint. And there's like a dude with a flamethrower guitar on top of like, 80 speakers and that's truly how you feel when you leave the theater like thankfully I live in New York so like I left the Kipps Bay theater and like had to walk to a subway like a pleb in order to get home but like I was sitting there thinking if I was driving I would be dangerous (laughs) if I came out of this theater because all I would want to do is like drive my car over smaller cars (laughs) and assert my dominance (laughs) in like the hellscape of the post-apocalyptic desert wonderland. It was really excellent. I, you know, I didn't like the original Mad Max movies and I was sort of like reluctantly um, dragged to this movie primarily because after it came out, there were reports that there were like angry men's rights activists saying that they had like totally deballed the franchise. And I was like, well, I'll support anything that men's rights activists hate. Um, And it turned out to be a fantastic, lovely surprise. And it's so much about, like, sisterhood and friendship and women taking care of each other in even the direst of straits that it was very lovely. And I enjoyed it. Um, Sorry, do you remember the Jeremy Renner Bourne movie? uh, Unfortunately, yes. Right. So not a good movie, but had some, like, exciting motorcycle chases. Sure. The theater that I saw that at is uphill from my apartment, and I have a bike share membership, and there is a bike share station, like, outside that theater and outside my apartment, and I biked home, like, weaving around shit, and I was like, I probably shouldn't be allowed to ride a bike right now, like. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly the feeling that you would have operating a motor vehicle after watching Mad Max. Similarly, do not, do not listen to the soundtrack while driving, because, like, (laughs) I'm like, I will be walking around the city, like walking to work in shitty uptight suit, midtown Manhattan. And like, if I have that soundtrack playing, my instinct is to like hit people with my body. It's just like not appropriate. I have a like aggressive walking playlist because I am an aggressive pedestrian. I have what is termed pedestrian rage. Okay. And the and I'm also face blind. So like, I just won't recognize you if you come at me in the street. Like I will just keep walking. I stormed past the dean's assistant the other day, and she was like, I just didn't say hi, because you looked like you were going to murder someone. I was like, I was going to get a newspaper. Yeah, see, the funniest part about this, and the reason I'm laughing, is because one of the defining moments of my knowledge of MK as a human being is one time, not the first time I went to Toronto to visit you, but we were, like, literally walking around your neighborhood, and we went past, like, a homeless dude panhandling on the corner. And I, like any other seasoned New Yorker, straight up fucking ignored him. And you looked at him and said, sorry, no thank you, have a good day, and walked past him. And I'm like, that's precious. You have pedestrian rage. You told a crazy homeless guy, have a nice day. Yeah, but that's, like, basic common courtesy. This is, like, so Canadian. Okay, next topic. Next topic is a television show that I did not watch, but MK did, Dark Matter. Okay, so Dark Matter, you remember Joe Malozzi, who did Stargate Atlantis, etc., etc.? 
Um, mm-hmm. Joe Malosi decided to write, like, what at first I was like, this is just bad Firefly fan fiction, and, like, make it a new right. TV show. So the premise of Dark Matter is that a bunch of people wake up in stasis pods on a spaceship that is, like, about to crash or whatever, and two of them manage to, like, stop it from crashing. Great. And then they're like, who are you? Who are you? And it turns out that every single person on that spaceship, there's only, like, seven of them, whatever, has amnesia. (laughs) They don't know their names. They don't know, like, anything about themselves. But they can, like, remember how to do some stuff, and they know some basic knowledge about the universe. Um, and one of them is, like, a child who is clearly, I say child, she's, like, 17, whatever, um, who is clearly, like, different from the rest of them. And it turns out that every single person except for the girl has, um, they're basically huge wanted criminals across the entire galaxy. Okay. Good times. Anyways, so the first couple episodes, I was like, literally, this is, like, an amnesia Firefly AU, but bad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then I honestly, like, I fucking hate Joe Malozzi because he does this, but, like, by the end of the season, I was like, I kind of like this. Cool. I kind of like these people, and, um, the lead character is an awesome lady who is, like, super badass and takes zero shit from anyone. Um, so I'm not saying watch it, but I'm not saying don't watch it. It's not gonna be (laughs) SGA. (laughs) I'm like, you know, make your decision there real carefully and go in knowing that, like, the first half of it, even though it's only, like, 13 episodes or something, the first half is basically garbage. Okay. What would you say if someone wanted to, like, skip the garbage? What what should they watch? Like, I assume the pilot and then they can skip to what? No, honestly, that's the thing. Because there's only, like, 13 episodes, you need to watch pretty much all of it except for the one with the entertainment robot. So, you're telling people that in order to enjoy the series, they have to churn through, like, minimum four episodes of pure garbage. Yes. You can have it on in the background. Okay, I... Okay, anyways, next topic. Cool. Um, oh my god, MK. I think you and I are equally excited about this. Although, I don't know, maybe, maybe like, 20-something and I are most excited about this. YTV is making a Bruno and Boots movie. I fucking love, like, the YTV of my childhood, and I feel like this is the first step of them going back to being 90s YTV. I don't know what that means. They're going to have to elaborate. Um, YTV in the 90s, you would come, like, in the morning they would air Sailor Moon and Lois and Clark, like, before you went to school. And when you came back in the afternoon, the lineup was, like, Batman the Animated Series, Spider-Man the Animated Series, X-Men the Animated Series. Um, Like, basically everything that you fucking loved in the 90s that was for kids was on that channel. It was all on YTV. Okay. Yeah, they did fucking everything. Um, Awesome. So them making Bruno Boots, like, I was really excited. I'm like, please, 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 please let this be 90s YTV. So, basically, the way I found out about this, because, like, they've done no, like, zero publicity around this at all. The only reason I found out about this fucking project is hilariously because of my Hannibal obsession. What? Yeah. So, don't worry, guys. We have a whole separate The Hannibal episode that we did after the finale aired, um, which will be coming your way eventually. But, so, one of the people that I follow on Twitter is, there are 
two lab techs that survived to the end of Hannibal. One of them is played by Scott Thompson, formerly of Kids in the Hall, like super hilarious guy. And he is playing Principal Hartley because the movie that they're doing is Go Jump in the Pool from the McDonald Hall series. And he's playing Principal Hartley, a.k.a. Principal Heartless from York Academy. And he <laughs> tweeted a picture where he was, like, saying, um, getting ready to play Principal Hartley. And, like, my brain, with its, like, fucking rat warren of associations, was instantly like, wait, are we? Is this? And he, so I went to his Twitter and I started digging around. And I was like, holy shit, they're doing it. They're finally making a Bruno and Boots movie. And then I, like, literally felt something in my heart, like, grow three sizes. Like, I was, like, the fucking Grinch or something. <laughs> I'm so explosively happy. Then discomfort. So then I went and found, like, the actual Bruno and Boots movie Twitter and followed it just so I could have every iota of news. Discomfortingly, they followed me back. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> actually read my twitter account <laughs> i'm just like i'm like do i need to block the this is a problem that i have where i'm like "Ooh, you probably shouldn't have followed me yeah like i love you and because i love you i don't want you to know what a monster i <laughs> please don't read my twitter like just the last three days alone have been that bad enough. <laughs> oh, please try to keep yourself pure. As far as we know, there doesn't seem to be a release date on that yet, right? No, I literally, as you were talking, looked up the IMDb page and it just says 2015, which who fucking knows? There's not that much 2015 left, though. Yeah, I just don't know. Because it's a TV movie, and it is YTV, I'm like, maybe they were like, just put 2015 because that's when they're recording it, but, like, it could come out in 2016. I guess it doesn't matter. All I know is that my heart throbs deeply for it, so whenever it does come along, I will love it with every measure of devotion. But speaking of throbbing deeply, MK. Oh, no. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. One thing that we wanted to touch on um, really quickly, because we are probably going to surrender ourselves to sad reality and finally do a full episode, was um, Alpha, Beta, Omega as a fandom trope and a fanfic trope. And one of the really funny things that we discovered as MK was editing this long lost episode that neither of us remember is that it was recorded prior to my like capitulating and writing some like hot, dirty garbage that I'm ashamed of myself for. Uh, hold on, hold on. Let's clarify there. What she means is she wrote an AU, uh, a Kingsman AU, where they are both actors on a set, so it's a contemporary ABO nodding AU that is, Hollywood like, AU. <laughs> really just a rapper for, like, an extensively filthy PWP. Yeah, and someone was, like, I think someone asked me, like, is this really just thinly veiled Kingsman RPF? And I was like, I don't really know how thinly veiled it is. I don't know that I put that much effort into concealing the fact this that is, this is more or less Kingsman. Do you ever do you ever read a fic and you're like, they change like they put the names of the the characters on the show, but really this is RPF or vice versa? Yeah, that was kind of the situation we're looking at here. Yeah, so. Guys, it's it's basically RPF, but the name Eggsy is in there. The name Eggsy and the name Harry Hart were in there. Yeah, so it's pretty great. When I tagged that on Pinboard, I think I just said, like, Rage, 
I'll never write nodding fuck you MK proof rock finally games. <laughs> you know what the thing was? And like, as MK pointed out, I whined about this on the long lost episode too that we're going to post, um, which you'll hear right after this is wrapped up, is that like my problem with most ABO fanfic is that people don't lean in enough. It's like a purely id driven trope. And I guess that, like, I understand that some people really like going into itty tropes and, like, subverting them for, like, all sorts of social, like, commentary reasons. I don't have that in me. Like, if I'm (laughs) in an itty trope, I just want it to, like, 100%. Like, I will be that rat that, like, presses the pleasure button until I die of starvation. Like, that's what I want. Like, if I'm reading an ABO fanfic, I want someone to get, like, a big fucking hammer and just put it on, like, yeah it's satisfying nonsense and like I feel like not enough people are just like it's that whole fandom puritanical shame thing right like you go all the way up to the line but you refuse to just like absolutely cross it which I think is weird because of like what other safe space is there to cross it so like my entire approach toward writing that story was like well I guess I'm gonna be full nasty now which is like the only (laughs) thing that that story accomplished Wait, I have a question for you. Okay. So, when you finished writing that, and it had been posted for, like, a while, did you have any, like, retrograde shame? No. Like, zero. You're just like, "Mm, I wrote that. Well, I, so here's the problem, right? Like, and this is a thing that I think all fan fiction author, well, like, all writers of any kind will run into, especially when they write, like, erotica and smut. It's just, like, you are revealing some things about yourself, whether or not you want to. (laughs) Whenever, right? Like, because if you don't think it's hot, none of your readers are. So, like, no matter what you write that's, like, smutty, you are, like, being real confessional with everyone who is reading your story. And you have to be okay with that when you're writing something. Now, like, to me, (coughs) objectively speaking, that story, which full nasty, full admission that it's, like, real dirty, right? Like, that is, like, dirty with, like, three R's in it. (laughs) It's, like, Christina Aguilera dirty. It is Christina Aguilera dirty. Like, to me, it is not necessarily dirtier than, like, the time that I had the Lost Boys hopped up on Wraith Enzymes double-penetrating Rodney. Do you know what I mean? Everybody double-penetrated Rodney. That's basically his job. I, sure, like, but no one else was writing it like it was his job, so I was like, I guess these guys are gonna double dick Rodney McKay. I guess I'm writing this down. I guess I'm putting my name on it. (laughs) It's just like, the shame continuum keeps getting pushed further and further, because I honestly, like, I've hesitated to write stuff many, many times in the past, because I was like, this is so nasty. People are gonna be like, Prue is so nasty and you like you just have to get over it because like as this like my number one most read highest hit story on archive of our own remains to this day the girlfriend experience literally because there's nothing in that story other than like fucking sex and like that whole story is just like 30k of sex and like people are perverts that's what people are into like I know my role in this transaction like I'm here to write something real nasty for you people, and I just need to, like, accept that. Okay, wait. I have, like, an interesting counter-experience here. Okay. So you know that I haven't written that much porn. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But one thing that I did write, or I co-wrote with two other people, is the, like, werewolves are known, there's nodding, porn AU, where mm-hmm. Styles bangs, like, everyone while Derek films it, and then they fall in love. Okay. Um, and we wrote it like, like, I wrote a couple chapters, and the other two people wrote a couple chapters, but, like, you can see, like, there's a big difference in what's in there, depending on which chapter you're in, right? Right. Um, and we released that thing, I believe, 30 minutes before Dylan O'Brien's panel at San Diego Comic-Con. Good job, buddy. Yeah, and I didn't realize it, because I've never been to Comic-Con, but literally we started getting messages that were like, I'm in line to see Dylan O'Brien, and guess what I'm reading, and guess what everyone in this line is reading, like, together, (laughs) as a group. Um, and like sometimes... So what is your counterpoint? My counterpoint is, my most popular story remains, Covered Love, which is rated G, and a bunch of the comments are like, I didn't want to read this because it's rated G. Oh, I'm not saying that, like, I'm not saying at all that something has to be smutty in order for people to read it. I'm just saying that, like, this goes back to my entire, like, I have a major problem with, like, puritanical behavior whether or not it's in fandom but i think in fandom it's particularly pernicious because we're supposed to be a community that gets each other right like Mm. we're already weirdos who write smut on the internet like why are we drawing artificial lines in terms of like what kind of smut we're writing on the internet you know like i've had a lot of conversations with people where they are like oh i really want to write this but i have to get a sock puppet to do it because like this is so fucked up and nasty that like i don't want to post it under my own name completely legit that you don't feel comfortable doing that because people read into you in terms of what you write but at the same time like I work really hard to try and destroy whatever shame centers I still have in my body so you like live a weird rom-com experience though in that like the things that are like embarrassing and weird that would only happen to someone in a rom-com actually happen to you in real life versus like that shit doesn't happen to me so my shame is real (laughs) strong I know I know. So, like, I've just, I've kind of, like, just given in. I'm like, whatever. You in still wear white. Because <laughs> what? You still wear white. Like, I, I don't, I think I was, like, 13 when I was like, mm, I'm going to sweat through the top of this and bleed through the bottom, so. Well, MK, you've heard the most no, phenomenal I'm... instance of me wearing white. So, like, That's what like makes a... me, like, proud to remain today, someone who, generally speaking, doesn't wear white. <laughs> It ended up okay. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> if you don't, if you haven't heard this story, did we ever record that? Yeah. That was on a, on a previous episode, right? It is on a previous episode, either of this or a female gaze cast. I think it was on female gaze cast. If you want to hear the story of me and the white dress and the white coat, you have to go listen to like what? There are four episodes of female gaze. Go listen through it because like it's so long. I can't repeat it. It's, like, mind-blowing, the nonsense that happened that day. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. But I, there's no point to this discussion. I was basically just saying that, like, I, at that time, when we recorded, I felt that, like, people didn't lean in enough on ABO, and I was, like, not prepared to write it. But at some point, I defeated my remaining residual shame and was like, fuck it, I'm doing this. So, you know, you I'm not proud up. of myself, but that's a thing that happened. I'm proud of you. Thanks, MK. I'm always proud of you. Thanks, babe. Oh my gosh. Okay, so we're going to do three quick questions before we jump 
to the main topic, which is going to be part one of our Ask Us Anything episode. Um, and these are sourced from our Tumblr Ask inbox, which is we're sorting reverse order. So we're starting with the oldest first. Um, and the first question is for MK, and it comes from The Day Was New. And uh, she or he writes, so I left Teen Wolf in the middle of season three, but from time to time, I'm struck by morbid curiosity about what is going on. As I get all my Teen Wolf knowledge from gift sets, are there two Derricks now? And is Styles dating the small one? How long <laughs> has Styles been possessed? Has Scott disappeared? Any chance you could do a recap? Because I can't get sucked back into watching it, but I have a strange need to know. All right. Now, as you're going to hear in the part of the episode that comes after this, I've still only ever seen, like, four episodes of Teen Wolf. However, I have a pretty good understanding based on Tumblr gift sets. So. So, wait. This is, like, Tumblr gift set blind. Yeah. Tumblr gift set blind. So, like, if somebody wants to correct me afterwards, I'll be real excited to see what I got wrong. For fuck's sake. All right. <laughs> this should be a new game where you, like, only describe things based on gift sets because you've never seen what I really happened. I did that. Remember when we did the first Teen Wolf episode? Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know who any of these people are. It's great. I didn't even know there was a girl in this show. <laughs> There's a bunch of girls. Okay. Okay. So, the point is, through things that don't matter, Kate Argent comes back from the dead as, like, a were- something some shitty animal like a jackal or something i don't know and because she is now like a zombie were jackal or whatever um she makes don't worry about it she makes a deal with some kind of like cult church in mexico and kidnaps derek takes him to them and they like de-age him to when he is like young and still in love with her and doesn't realize that she's gonna murderate his whole family so yeah, de-aging canon in Teen Wolf. Surprise, you're welcome. Um, and Lydia and Styles, I think, either rob a bank or take some money from, like, a secret vault of, like, billionaire Derek has a bunch of money, because Derek, it turns out, is, like, a secret billionaire, which is everything I've ever wanted. Um, and they, like, illegally sneak into Mexico with everyone in order to buy him back from the cult church in Mexico, which is why you get to see, like, a bunch of shit of, like, Styles and young Derek hanging out and talking to people, and it looks like they're dating. They're not. Um, young Derek is very confused and sad, etc. Eventually, they get Big Derek back, I don't know how, through some kind of wolf magic. Uh, Scott's still around, Styles is possessed for, like, a whole season, and nobody knows it, and there's, like, some tragic shit where people think that what really is happening is he is dying of frontotemporal dementia, which is what killed his mom. And Styles murders a bunch of people, including Allison Argent, which was shitty. That's what happened. Okay. I don't really know how to respond to that. Like, I don't know half the people there, but it sounds like a lot of things happen. Yeah, my impression is a lot of things happened. And I yes. only covered a few. Jeff Davis is not a good writer. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay. I think we all know that. All right. Wow. All right. Um, where do you even go from that? Um, so we only have two more questions. Uh, one, I'm just going to, like, read the response read the comment out real quick, give my response, and then we were, like, not discussing it further, because if we do, I will just, like, burst into flames of rage. 
This came from an Anon, and it's basically, um, I think some point earlier last season, we had discussed why people treat purchasing fan art and purchasing fan fiction so differently. Um, and their response as to why the two are treated differently, i.e. it's perfectly legitimate to like buy fan art and profit from it, and then it's not okay to sell fanfic, was this. From an anon, I think the main difference between paying for fanfic, not okay, and offering fan art commissions, okay, is that while all of us speak words and at some level are capable of turning our ideas, our ideas into words, not all of us have the artistic ability to express our ideas visually in any recognizable form. Essentially, commissioning fan art is paying not for fan art itself, but for the very valuable skill that artists, that an artist has to make your idea reality when otherwise you wouldn't be able to. All I have to say to that is that's fucking horseshit and you suck. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I can't be polite about it. Like, the idea that somehow, like, being able to write a great story is a skill that somehow everyone has deep down inside, but art is beyond us all, and therefore it's more precious and worthy of monetary value is absolute horseshit. This is a thing where people don't understand that writing is also art. Guys, also music is also art. Also dance is also art. So... It's, it's, uh, I, I was like fucking, I think when we originally got this, like I had like a full on like seizure, like I had a grand mal seizure of rage. I think I got I like this. a really incoherent rage message from you on cacao. I, and I'm still like, just thinking about this now makes me angry. Like it just like, ugh. yeah, it's a dumb message. Sorry, Anon, but it is a dumb message. It's a dumb message. It's a dumb conceit. Like, I feel strongly that, like, part of my entire, like, thesis of participation in fandom is that, like, I will never charge for fan fiction. I think it's, like, I don't think it's kosher to do that. I also don't think it's kosher to charge for fan art. But, I mean, that's other people's business. And, like, while I don't like it, I can't say anything about it. But I can, like, just declare that the idea that one is harder or more valuable than the other is just such complete bullshit that, like, we can never discuss this again. <laughs> Which is to say, guys, stop sending us messages about this. We're, we're not going to talk about it anymore. It, it's done. You guys it's can find gonna, each other. And... It's just going to give me an aneurysm. <laughs> yeah, there's stuff you would way rather hear us talk about. Absolutely. And, like, just don't, you know, just, why? Why? Let's move on. Let's move on. Although, MK, you're not going to like this topic either. Great. I told you that I was going to force you to respond to it. We are not going to do a full episode on this, um, but we are acknowledging that we got the question, and I'm making MK talk about it really quickly. This came in from an Anon. Um, RPF Redux. When the RP part of RPF starts fucking with the F, looking at you, Patrick Kane. Yeah. Okay. Oh, God, I hate it. So, I don't think anyone is surprised that all professional sports culture is like, it's it's going to have this toxicity in it because in all things, you know, you probably work with someone who well, isn't... Well, like, for people who don't know what's going on, do you want to just give like a really quick summary? Yeah, so Patrick Kane had an incident in the past where he got real drunk and punched a lady in the face, and everyone was really upset about that. Obviously, that is not an okay thing to do, but I think it was originally written off as like, he had a drinking problem, he got help... And he's okay now. And for like two years or so, it seemed like things were okay. And right now, he is in a court case because um, he allegedly 
sexually assaulted or raped a girl. We don't we don't know the full details. We did, we shouldn't know the full details. It's frankly none of my business. It's her business and she deserves to get whatever she wants out of this. Like if anyways, I can't talk about that. But the point is, basically it turns out Patrick Kane really is a fucking asshole probably just like a bunch of you thought. And yeah, for me that means that like I'm not reading Blackhawk stuff. I'm probably not going to be watching Blackhawks games. You know, I'm probably not supporting the Blackhawks because it really, I don't think it's okay when an organization supports this kind of thing. It's the kind of thing you see in the NFL where they're like, well, it's okay that he beat his wife. You're like, no, it's really not. I don't care if you're a pro sports player. That has nothing to do with it. You can't, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um and, oh, also, multiple teams have already sent the Blackhawks offers for Patrick Kane. So, so that's great. The thing is, it's really important that we, that in sports culture people talk about this because there needs to be major changes and they need to realize if they want to have a, an increased audience, if they want to continue to have the sport, etc. Because the sport targets, like, families, and if they want to have more audience, they need to target women, even though they, they don't want to. Um, you can't have this kind of thing, and if it does happen, you have to deal with it appropriately. Gary Bettman, I'm looking at you, who is like, we just don't have that problem in hockey. Yeah, yeah, we do. There's actually a lot of problems in hockey. We just don't talk about it that much because it's not as big a deal as the NFL. Eh, that's I can't I can't yeah I mean it's 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 shitty it's like a shitty situation yeah I mean I still enjoyed all the stuff that you know I experienced in fandom when I was shipping Taves and Kane I I still love that shit lots of people wrote great shit there's great videos whatever I don't know that I can go back to it now Mm -hmm. and I think that's fine you have to make that choice on your own exactly um Okay, cool. I think that wraps us up for this section, and we'll send you on to the main body of our show, which is going to be um, a throwback Ask Us Anything episode. But stay tuned for the rest of this season, where we have some great stuff coming up. We're going to be doing an episode on the Raven Cycle. We'll be doing, obviously, an episode on the Return of Empire. (laughs) And um, we will be doing Hannibal and a number of other things. So stay tuned and uh, hold on to your pants. MK? Uh, roll tape. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to Slash Report. I'm Peru, and I'm joined as ever by my partner in crime, MK. Hello there. Hi. So... This is going to be um, sort of a hodgepodge episode. Uh, our primary bulk of time is going to be spent answering, like, the massive backlog of questions that we have in our Tumblr Ask box and from various other places. But before we get into that, there were a couple of, like, recent events we wanted to talk about. MK, do you want to kick us off? I forgot what I was going to talk about first. Miss Fisher. Thank you. Sorry. I'm sick. How do you exist in reality? No, no, you don't know, like, how sick I've been, and I'm still sick. I don't, it, how do you exist in our reality? The only reason it's, it's like, less than five minutes. The only reason I'm functional right now is because I'm on a lot of cold medication, which makes me sleepwalk, which is real exciting. Great. Okay. Yeah. Just talk. Um, so, the official announcement came out that Miss Fisher Series 3 starts airing in Australia on May 8th. 
um, which is awesome. And because Australia is like a full practically day ahead of us here in North America on the East Coast or whatever, that means that like we could have it on the 8th or we could have it, I don't even know, very early on the 8th is my fingers crossed. <laughs> That's all. I'm just really excited. I'm like already making plans with friends. Like, how are we going to do this? We have to watch it together. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's also, like, a promo out, too, right? Like, for those of you who haven't seen it yet, you can, like, go online and find the promo for it. Oh, yeah. Um, we actually reblogged it on the Slash Report Tumblr. Like, a good copy, not, like, a filmed with a camera copy. (laughs) Just in case. Although, I'm sure, I'm sure you desperate, thirsty pervs would have watched a film with a camera copy, too. Well, first we tweeted a link and reblogged a photo set that somebody had, like, taken terrible pictures. (laughs) <laughs> and then somebody finally had, like, a good copy of it, and we posted it. Nice. Yeah. Look at what we do for you. Look at us, like, working hard for your happiness. Or I was about to say, like, working hard for the money, but, like, what money? What, the, the negative money? The, ne- the none money. Yeah. <laughs> none money. That's also no money. <laughs> it's so not the, sad- money. the no saddest money. pizza in the world. Yeah, it's just crust. Might as well just be some baked bread. Oh my god. Um, and the second topic, unfortunately, MK is also going to have to talk about, because I have not actually seen it yet. Um, but, so, hey, Netflix put out something this week. I didn't notice it first, um, but apparently, like, the first five, I think, episodes of Daredevil are up on Netflix. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I like some Daredevil. Like, not a lot, but, like, I have a certain affection for Daredevil. Check that out. And I made it seven minutes into the episode before I just had to turn it off and be like, this isn't for me. It's not. Yeah, so what What about it didn't work for you, just out of curiosity? Okay, now part of this, I'm not sure if I'm just, like, having a sociopath week. And part of it is, like, I, I don't like it. But um, the opening scene is young Matt Murdock being blinded by toxic waste. Good. Um, and his All about being that. Like, close your eyes, close your eyes. And he's like, Dad, I can't see. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, we know. You are, okay, that's pretty high on the sociopath scale, just to clarify. Thanks. Like, I, you know, there's some stuff in there about how he saved an old man or whatever. I, I don't know. I was just like, uh-huh, we get it. And then there's like a, a very long or just long feeling scene where he goes mm-hmm. into a confessional and is, like, talking to the priest and telling him about, like, his dad and how his dad was a boxer and, like, how great at boxing his dad was because he would just take all these hits. And I was just like, I don't care. Do you have a confession or not? And eventually even the priest is like, dude, do you have a confession? He's like, no. Uh, I'm, like, basically asking pre-forgiveness for what I'm about to do. And the priest is like, what? <laughs> um, which I was like, that would be funny. Except that, like, I just sat through your, like, really long and boring like, taking up this priest's time about your dad, which is, like, irrelevant to everything. Then he saves a bunch of ladies from some human traffickers. Um, and that scene is just, like, it's too brutal for me. Like, it was, mm-hmm. it felt like watching Sin City. Like, I don't like Sin City. I couldn't, I don't like Frank Miller. It felt very Frank Miller to me. Okay. Um, so I didn't like that. I was like, you know, normally I'd be like, yeah, beat the shit out of those human traffickers. But, like, the way it was done and the tone, I was just, like, super not into Okay. And then you get to meet his, like, law partner, because they are defense attorneys in real life. And they are trying to uh, basically rent office space from, like, a a beautiful young lady who is a a real estate agent. And I was just also not 
into that scene. At a certain point, I was just like, I've hated everything so far, and I've been watching this for, like, a while. So, I'm going to stop. <laughs> you know, like, like there was nothing that I liked. Right. And, I mean, I realized that some, like, you will probably be like, no, this is solid. And it's just, it's not for me. I just find this really interesting, right? Because I have... I've been, I've basically been seeing coverage about Daredevil, um, and I've been seeing it on both, like, the fandom side as well as, the, like, the non-fandom side. Mm-hmm. So this is, like, general television critics, like, random Marvel fans, like, the critics that I follow on Twitter and things like that. And I have no pre-existing relationship with this, um, this particular property. I know less than nothing about Daredevil. And I went into this with an absolutely like not even an open mind. I'm just like a blank slate, so I'm gonna like check out the pilot later tonight. Yeah. But um it's been so interesting. And I say this like legitimately not knowing anything about the show and also not knowing like how the show has been portrayed or like how the property has been portrayed in this. But the only people I've seen who have hated this show are the fandom people. And I find that really interesting. <laughs> it is interesting. It's, you know what, there's probably a lot of stuff in it that, like, on the social justice side, fandom won't like. hmm That's not what disinterested me in it or what turned me off. Like, it's it's definitely, I just can't handle a certain style or level of violence. Because I love action movies. I love to watch right. people beat the shit out of bad guys. I am into it. But there's, like, a style in which a bunch of directors or writers will do this that I just, like, I can't deal with. So it's basically, like, you don't like realistic violence. You know what? That's probably it. I like stuff that is more, like, and I want to say cartoony because it's also not that. Like, that will instantly make me, like, no. Well, also because, like, Kingsman's violence was cartoony, and that was a real turnoff, too. Yeah. You know what? I really like... This is going to sound terrible. I like the violence in Hawaii Five-0, which is mostly, like, you see an explosion at a distance, and occasionally people are, like, punching each other in the face, but, like, that's about it. Oh, my God. I, like, literally, that's, like, the description of everything I hate about how Hawaii Five-0 does it, right? Because I think the reason that that particular type of violence turns me off so hard is because it's consequence-free violence, right? It's, like, imaginary violence. It's, like, oh, look, there's a huge fucking bomb, and, like, uh, somehow no one died. Or, like, oh, there was this huge gunfight, and we shot, like, 400 rounds. But, like, oh, I have, like, one artistic bruise. And I, I like, that really drives me fucking crazy, because, like, that's not how violence actually works, and they're, like, like, real-life consequent, whatever. This is why I hated Hawaii Five-0 as a fucking show. It's interesting to me, because, like, for me, I prefer that, and I don't know if this is, like, you've never, have you ever fired, fired a real gun? No, I hate guns. I have, like, I have, like, really strong, like, very crazy person, moral, ethical, like, loathing for weapons of all kinds. Yes, okay, so this is, I was, like, raised on guns, right? Like, I've been, like, firing guns since I was six. Um, and when I was, like, eight, I want to say, so this is, like, going to be a terrible story for the podcast. If you don't want to hear some violence, fast forward. Um, <laughs> Wait, is this the, is this the headshot story? Headshots, right? Did you say hedgehog? The headshot, the headshot story. No, I don't know what that is. Okay, never mind then. Okay. Assume I didn't say anything, listeners. Great. Anyways, uh, when I grew up, we had two hunting dogs that were like trained for hunting for like tracking down birds that you have shot in tall grass. And when you are driving in rural Canada, 
and you have rifles behind your seat and, like, bullets in the, you know, in the little, what's that fucking glove box, in the glove box in front of you, um, it is completely acceptable and even encouraged that if you see a groundhog in a farmer's field, you pull over, you get out of the car, and you kill that groundhog. Um, because the groundhogs will, like, tear up people's fields, and that's not cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would, like, routinely, while driving in rural Canada, just, like, pull over, and my dad would go and, like, shoot a groundhog. And, like I said, I've been using guns since I was very young, and I was very good at it. Um, and so, you know, we saw a groundhog, we pulled over, we got the dogs out of the back. Um, I loaded up my little twenty two. um... You know, I've got my ammo, we're all set, we're, like, trekking out into the field, and I hand the rifle to my dad, and he doesn't take it, and he's like, no, no, you should do this, like, you can kill the groundhog, and I was like, awesome, I've never, like, actually shot at a thing before, rather than just, like, targets, this is really exciting, uh, so I took the shot, I killed the groundhog in one shot, awesome, fantastic, the dogs take off, they go get it. And the way that hunting dogs are trained is that when they catch the thing, when they, like, find the body, they bring it back to you, and then they shake it back and forth vigorously in order to break the neck in case it is still alive. That's, like, the the mercy, right? To, like, make sure that this animal doesn't suffer more than it has to. But what I saw was I was, like, you know, seven or eight years old, and my puppy comes running back to me and starts, like, spattering me with the blood of the thing that I just killed. Yes, and this was the moment where I was like, you know what, I really like firing rifles, I like doing target practice, like, I really enjoy this, I like filling shell casings, like, I like all of that. I never want to kill something ever again. Yeah. Right? Like, I just, I don't ever want to do it. When we catch a raccoon in the trap, I'm like, I understand that we're going to kill this, I can't be the one to do it. I'm happy to So basically what you're telling me is you like the thrill of doing something violent, but not the consequences of it. Exactly, which is why I like the violence of Hawaii Five-O, because it's like, it's like target practice without actually killing anyone. So when, That's like exactly what I'm saying the problem, okay, we can't talk about this, this is exactly what I'm saying the problem is. But. Yeah, but you know that I'm not actually going to go out and shoot people. Okay, first of all, given the stories that you've told me about what you and your brother get up to when you're watching Dexter We're not and why you're not allowed Dexter. to watch Dexter anymore, I am not confident that you will not go out and murder someone. I didn't say shoot. I'm not confident that you will not go out and murder someone. But only- even aside from that, I think that it is actually like if we were going to get into it and like be like total nerd, like concern trolling people, like you could actually make an argument that like that type of violence is a problem because people see, like, consequence-free violence. I guess that's fair. I think maybe that's a problem for most people. For me, I feel very aware of the consequences because of that moment. Like, that moment was yeah, very I mean, like, I think your Yeah, I think that your personal experience is, like, obviously not congruent to the larger picture of people being like, oh, I think it's totally fine to throw a grenade. Yeah. Steve does it all the time. No one ever gets hurt. Yeah, um, there's never dangerous. any... <laughs> I think, uh, so part of my, like, problem with watching things like Kingsman, or in this case, like, Daredevil, is, for me, I feel, like, sick to my stomach when I watch it, the same way that I did, like, when I realized that I had killed something, and then my dog had helped me, like, my puppy. Right. So, it's too, it's too real for me. I can't handle it. 
Gotcha. No, I think that totally makes sense. Yeah. Because, like, um, that's what I'm very curious to see what my personal response is going to be to that. Because the reason that the violence in Kingsman worked for me was because it was so cartoony. Like, it's super violence. It's ultra violence. Um, make no mistake. It was ridiculous. But there was no blood, really. Like, you never really saw any gore. And it didn't have, like, the sort of um, Batman, the Nolan Batman's, like, fucking grit, quote-unquote, where, like, the violence felt very real and, like, brutal to me um, because it was so cartoony and over-the-top. But we'll see how I feel about it once I actually watch it because I think that, like, there is a, there's, like, a fairly narrow window there if it's, like, very violent but also pretty realistic. Like, I don't like looking at that stuff in general. So. For me, I felt Daredevil side mm, okay we'll see how you, you feel about it after we'll talk about it yeah more after you watch some of it yeah i know I, th- I think it'll be interesting either way but i i'll take a crack um, and so basically, like, the last uh, bit I wanted to talk about before we moved on to our actual questions is how I don't know what's happening, but there's, like, a really mean, thrilled part of me that is just, like, watching Tumblr kind of, like, rapidly lose its fucking mind <laughs> over Colin Firth, which is, like, really good for me because I'm like, you toddlers have no idea the pain that we've lived in all of these years like since 1996 or something when the Pride and Prejudice BBC series came over to the US and like all of us like had our girl you're a woman now moments watching (laughs) Mr. Darcy come out of the lake like we've had to endure like as you, as all these bitches are finding out, as they're like, oh my god, like, Colin Firth is a hottie. Let me go through his back catalog. He makes terrible fucking movies. It's like, he makes one really good movie, and then he makes a really bad movie, and then he, like, makes another really good movie, and then he makes, like, a terrible movie. You know what? And it's, like, constantly to keep you on your toes, I think. Colin Firth is, like, the classier and with a slightly better catalog version of Hugh Jackman. Like, we used to have Hugh Jackman of funds because he's beautiful and he's, like, a great human being. I would sit there and be like, we're going to watch the following five all-awful Hugh Jackman movies now. (laughs) And, like, they're all terrible. I I feel, like, personally trolled by him. Yeah. Like, I really honestly think that Colin Firth, like, gets some sort of erotic delight from doing films that he knows are going to drive the women who, like, have a secret wank closet dedicated to him <laughs> fucking insane. Because there's no other explanation for some of these fucking film choices. Like, like I had uh, what I was calling the Firth apocalypse at my house, like, two weekends ago or something like that, where we just watched, like, terrible Colin Firth movies, and I will be holding, like, the B side of the Firth apocalypse. So the first one was just, like, his classic um, Bridget Jones, mm-hmm. uh, Pride and Prejudice, yeah. and also um, Mamma Mia, because we hate ourselves, oh my God. and What a Girl Wants. I've never which even is... been strong enough to watch two of those. Which two? Uh, Mamma Mia and What a Girl Wants. I don't think you should watch Mamma Mia. Really? Like, no, you should not watch Mamma Mia. Like, Mamma Mia takes, like... musical, like, when it first came out, and I liked that, but then I was like, oh, movie. Even though this has Colin Firth and Pierce Brosnan in it, because I was, like, a child when I fell in love with Pierce Brosnan. Um, I was still like, I don't know if I can do that to myself. No, you can't, because here's the thing, right? Like, 
lots of people like the musical. The musical is good. The musical is good because the musical is done by people who do musicals. The only person in the movie version of Mamma Mia who does musicals is Christine Baranski. And her amazingness is not strong enough against the tide of like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) That everyone else is sort of like radiating strongly. Like, it is excruciating and like a hundred percent like if you want to see all of these actors having a blast because it's so evident that they're having fun then sure watch it but like you better be pretty fucked up for it like get real drunk because in order of people who can't sing like christine baranski can sing followed by meryl streep who can string a little bit and then followed by no one. No one else can sing. Everyone else is terrible. And at the very bottom two rungs of like, can't, well, three rungs. At the very bottom three rungs of cannot sing are the naked scars guard who is like pretty much always naked in this movie. And yes, I do mean Eric from um, Thor. Yeah, is in this movie as one of the three um, potential fathers. So like, scars guard can't sing, which we, I think we all just kind of sensed. Um, Firth cannot sing. He can't sing. We knew that from the importance of being earnest. And you know who is the most can't sing? Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan is the most can't sing human in the world. And he sings a lot. Oh, good. He sings a lot. You're like, you know who we're going to cast here? These people. People can't sing. Fantastic. And you watch this movie and you think, all of these are the best takes. These are the best takes. And they've probably been auto-tuned. And this is the best they could do. So I'm never going to watch this, is what you're saying. It's, it's, I mean, like, if I got you really stoned one time, I don't think I should, because we don't know what your body would do if we got you high. But, like, if I got you really high, I would be tempted to, like, show it to you to see what would happen. But, like, I really... <laughs> I really think that, like, uh, Mamma Mia is an experience for, like... You know how they're, like, different religious sects? And, like, most people practice, like, nice, normal versions of their religions. Like, they're nice, normal Buddhists, or they're nice, normal Muslims, or they're nice, normal Christians, or, like, whatever the fuck, right? And then, like, every religion has, like, some sort of, like, super extreme religious sect. Like, I think that for the Colin Firth aficionados who, like, really love the dude, like, full-time forcing yourself to watch Mamma Mia over and over again, to me, is an activity reserved for the people who, like, do the psyllis and the self-flagellation. It's just, like, it's not, like... I just got distracted trying to figure out, like, what an extreme Buddhist would be. There are versions! Extreme, like, there are some really scary consequences to um, some versions of um, Tibetan Buddhism. Fantastic. Yep. But in conclusion, the point is that I've been really, really enjoying it because I have lived in this hell for years, and suddenly so many other people are here with me, and it's great. I'm so glad to have other people suffering. Fantastic. I have been seeing a lot of Firth on my dash and being like, yeah, I like that. 
Yeah, I know, but, like, you should be aware that every time you see a lot of Firth on your dash, you're like, ooh, somewhere out there, Prue is losing her fucking mind, and it's true. Well, I do really enjoy seeing your tags on, like, a lot of these when you're, like, replugging stuff, which is just like, why would you do this to me? It's really mean. Like, for a while, right, like, before, as we've, like, established at this point, I have, like, fallen full headfirst into Kingsman fandom but like before I'd seen the movie a bunch of people were being dicks and tagging me and all these like Colin Firth like picture sets and I was like guys my Firth problem is already strong like it is so strong (laughs) if there was like this is like a cowbell situation right like there's like there will always be more Firth for me um I will always need more cowbell but like you guys are just like provoking me and making this worse and like people have not been tagging me in Colin Firth sets lately. And by lately, I mean, like, in the last day or two. But it could happen at any moment. It's just, like, waiting for me. It's, like, a terrible, like, landmine of sexiness. I have a problem where I always have a queue of, like, at least 100 items. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't look at who has posted something on my dash. I'm just like, wow, I love that. And I'll, like, hit reblog or queue. And I've noticed that I've been reblogging myself because, like, I don't remember that post because <laughs> I'm a goldfish. Good job. And I just, I think the greatest thing I could do would be to start tagging you in, like, Colin Firth posts now, but, like, add them to my queue so that they would show up, like, why a, would you? A hundred why, days from now. That is so mean. Wouldn't that be great? No, it wouldn't, because I, like, would have, like, fallen fast and hard and then gotten out of that fandom by then, and then you would just be restarting the pain. That's, uh, it's funny. Dick. Um, okay, can we, can we transition? There's a thing that I've been meaning to bring up on the podcast for, like, literally a year, and I kept not doing it by accident. Okay. Uh, which is, we actually received free copies of a card game for Phantom. Okay. So it's called Slash, and it's essentially Cards Against Humanity, except that you are making ridiculous pairings. Okay. Um, so we, I got a copy, and we had a copy sent to the Hoyden, who, like, held a little party playing it. And it's hella fun. Like, it's super fun, especially um, if you know a bunch of, like, random pop culture shit. But the cards will have, like, here's who this person is, here's how many points they're worth, and here's, like, a brief description. And I played it with a bunch of my friends, and just as an example, I think my favorite pairing was my friend Jenny put down Cleopatra from history. So, like, (laughs) everybody puts down their own card, and then you, like, mix it up, and then they pick which one is the best, right? And the card that I put down was Cleopatra, but from Cleopatra 2525, (laughs) a.k.a. Gina Torres as Cleopatra in space. Yeah. And I think Cleopatra and Cleopatra would be a great pairing. Good. Yeah. Anyways, it's super fun. If you're in fandom, you might like it. It's good to play, like, with other fanish people. Um, yeah. I would recommend it. So how would they find us? Uh, it's online. We'll link to it on the show page. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Now we can do real stuff. Yes. What is our main topic for the week, MK? Um, random shit that showed up in our Tumblr box. A plus. Everybody's favorite. The old ask us anything. <laughs> okay, the first one is from an Anon. Somebody wants to know if you would ever consider doing um, a classic sea drama episode or just a drama episode. So, 
I would love to do a classic sea drama episode. I think the difficulty about something like that is that it's really not interesting unless you have someone else to talk to about it. And the challenge is, is that it's like, there are people who have watched them, but it's not necessarily people that I know. Do you know what I mean? Like, so there are people like in the, I could think of like maybe a person who has seen some of the ones I've seen, but we've all watched like very different classic C dramas. Right. So I could probably like find a person who had, in the fresh bud of youth stupidly watched a dream of red mansions and has been like destroyed and is now like a destroyed human being the way that I am. But there are a lot of, but there are a lot, a lot, a lot of these shows and I think it would be really, really fun, but it would be a lot of legwork to try and find someone. However, I will say this though, on this podcast, as people are listening, if you are a person who has watched the classic 1980s Dream of Red Mansions and has also watched um, Kang Shui Fu Sifang or Bao uh, Qing Tian or the old 90s Wu Zetian or any of those and um, would like to get your costume drama on and talk to us, Definitely let me know. Um, if nothing else, I think I will probably be dragging a couple of friends that I have that have been watching the Netflix version of Empresses in the Palace, which, whoa boy, um, into a long conversation about sort of um, that C drama, at least. So keep an eye out for that, folks. the frenzy and keep the peace stated temporarily so thanks for that but do you guys have any newer Taiwanese dramas to recommend mm, so this is my this is my challenge always I really and this is probably an unfair assessment at this point um but the, the last time I routinely watched Taiwanese and mainland dramas was probably I would say like mm, minimum like five years ago mm-hmm. and pop like part of the reason why I pretty much avoid them is like I find the production quality much lower and it's not anything else it's literally just the sound quality is garbage like I don't understand like and the people who have watched these dramas will know exactly what I mean you know how like when you watch normal television or watch k-dramas or anything like the actors are individually mic'd yeah it's like not getting ambient noise yeah they never do that with C-dramas. At least back then, they never did. So, like, I'm assuming that the way they had the setup is that you would just have the boom, mm-hmm. and that means you're picking up anything ambient. So, like, when you're watching a C-drama, you are, like, listening to traffic. You are hearing, like, garbage cricket noises. you like, uh, it's just, like, impossible, and it drives me really nuts because, obviously, given the fact that I, like, do so many podcasts and, like, listen to podfic all the time, like, I'm an audio freak. Yeah. So, like, it bugs me, like crazy um I can't like so I've been avoiding them I mean I could say that the two the only Taiwanese drama that I have watched that I have not recommended previously um and I don't know that I would like recommend it recommend this like full-throated affection but you could watch this if you want like a certain type of like terrible romance novel tropishness is called Autumn Concerto it's starring um, one of the F4, Vanessa Wu, and he's playing uh, the Taiwanese version of a chaebol, so like a very wealthy son. 
Um, and he ends up falling in love and they're in university. He ends up falling in love with the poor girl who works, work study in the cafeteria. Um, but he also ends up like, he gets like a brain tumor. Like this is very early in the series. Like he gets a brain tumor and as he's getting very, very ill. Um, and as he's prepping for surgery, like she is the one taking care of him. Like they're living together at this point and he goes into surgery at which point the he comes out and he has fucking amnesia. Of course. And his mother, yeah, and his mother pays him off, pays the girl off to disappear, which she takes the money because she's pregnant. And she vanishes and goes to, like, some shitty small island, like, I don't know, like, some corner of Taiwan. I, unfortunately, I'm not very familiar with the geography. Um, and then eventually, like, once, years later, he's, like, a fancy lawyer, I think. <laughs> and they, like, run into each other again. And, like, the spark is instant. I watched all of it. I wouldn't say that it's great. But, like, sometimes you just want that sort of garbage. That's fair. I think I've only ever watched two Taiwanese dramas. Mm-hmm. Um, neither of which I was unfortunately very into. One of them was the Taiwanese adaption of Hanegari Dango. Uh, uh-huh. and the other was the Taiwanese adaption of Hanakimi. Hanakimi is a uh-huh. little more recent. I think that they were both kind of garbage, as I understand. The Taiwanese adaptation of, um, Hanegari Dango is the infamous one. The one that literally started the Asian drama wave in China and Taiwan. It's Meteor Garden. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We used it's to the, get weird fan subs of it on, like, VHS. Yeah, it's it's not good. But, I mean, like, it's also... So, my crush on one of the guys in that show was so intense and so long-lasting that for years, years, my mother and father referred to him as the son-in-law. Oh, my God. Yeah, like, in media, on television, whenever, like, I would be at college, they'd be like, oh, yeah, so we were watching the New Year's Festival show, and the son-in-law was on it. And I was like, oh, my God, was he handsome? <laughs> and my mom was like, yes, he was still handsome. He needs a haircut. He should probably stop riding a motorcycle. It was like he was actually part of our family. That's terrible, but, like, somehow still nicer than the way my family would have handled that. <laughs> Amazing. Surprising. Oh, well, the other one that I could actually recommend that I watched on a whim and it turned out to be quite charming um, is Miss Rose. It's a much more recent one. Um, I like it a lot. It's on Drama Fever. So if you want to check it out. Excellent. Another Anon. Why do you think some <laughs> fandoms have an impressive amount of staying power while others fade away into obscurity? Uh, personally, do you know what this reminds me of? <laughs> What are you going to say that's going to get us in trouble? Inception fandom is pretty much mostly over. You're such unnecessary dickishness. I'm only saying that because people were like, how dare you? And I was like, it is. It is mostly over. And guess what, guys? I was right. Anyway. Teen Wolf is also mostly over. the question? Um, you know what? There's like a fine balance I find in the, the canon of what you're working with. Between, like, giving you enough that you can, like, build a lot of shit around it, but not giving you so much that you don't have, like, little spaces to work new things in. Or, like, mm-hmm. make your own interpretation. So, like, you need your canon to be flawed enough that, like, you're like, you know what, I could fix this by doing this. Or, like, wouldn't this make a lot of sense if it were this kind of AU or whatever. Um, and some fandoms, I'm like, they... They gave me too much, or they gave me not enough, so all of these characters are, you know, pretty much the same. 
I also think it has to do with like perspective, right? Like from my perspective, basically like no fandom has had staying power since fandom made its move primarily over to Tumblr because what kind of like gives fandom its permanence is the actual discussion about it and fanfic. And AO3 is not really the type of place where it's like a wonderful archive and I love it to pieces, but it's kind of like, it's not community building, right? It's just like, it's a place where it's a clearinghouse for fan fiction. Yeah. And I think that fandoms have more lasting power when there's like an actual sustained community around it. And that doesn't exist anymore. So I, I was trying to think of like all the like, quote unquote, like big fandoms since Tumblr became the primary medium and none of them really last a very long time. Right. Like compare it to the way that things used to last, like with SGA and like, do south and things like that but uh, there's also a relationship with the fact that those are television shows and the recent fandoms that i can think of are mostly movies or like one-off things yeah that's the Um, thing with like when that new the first of the new star trek movies came out the 2009 one we were like real amped about it and then we had nothing for a really long time and eventually you're gonna like but there's only so much said like but that being said the that fandom is huge there's so much fic for it so even though like there it like it eventually obviously petered out because there wasn't a ton of like new canon coming out to sort of sustain it and then what i think that was like massive it's kind of i almost feel like we're doing like larger bursts but not as sustained yeah that's actually probably true because i think that um I think that more people like are immediately jumping on the bandwagon because it's easier to kind of like make your visual argument for why, but that, I mean, for me, when you look at fandom in retrospect, right, you end up looking at the body of work it produces right? and the body of work is basically like the fanfic that it produces and like the fan art to some extent, but like, I don't actually look at old fan art really. I don't know where it's archived. Um, yeah. It's hard so to find I, that stuff, unless it's the, attached to a fic. Exactly. And I think that's just, like, one of the failings of, like, you know, if there was a better way to, like, share fan art. Anyways, but um, I look at the body of work that it generates, and I think it, like, if nothing else, it takes longer to write stories. So if fandoms come and go in these, like, rapid-fire bursts, even if you are right there at the beginning at the genesis and you, like, want to be part of the Big Bang and, like, write the story, if this fandom is really only big for, like, a year or maybe even less, how is that sufficient time for you to, like... For a lot of people, that's not enough time to kind of, like, get in there, figure out how they want to do this, and, like, work on a couple of stories. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it takes me about a month to write something, and I have to think about it for a while before I can start writing. And then I usually need, like, a couple months in between. I don't know why. My brain is just like, nope, not right now. No, I mean, like, I don't even, like, I don't even have that sort of excuse of, like, oh, I need, like, a couple months in between. Like, I just take on projects that take literal years to finish, right? Like, least of all possible mistakes, like, took me a year to write. Um, What fucking story before that? Like, if you look at my history of, like, big stories, they take a year to write. I know, and you know what's great about that is you're always like, I'm just gonna knock out, like, 10,000 words about this, and then, like, two weeks later, you're like, guys, I'm at 30,000 words, and I'm still going. I've just gotten started. I'm so angry. Every time it happens, I'm always so angry. But this is also why, like, 
this is just like a thing that has recently like crawled up my ass and is like driving me fucking insane (laughs) is that like I've literally talked like more publicly about how I hate it when people ask me when I'm updating recently than I ever have before and somehow more people just keep asking me when I'm updating what why you know what the like when are you updating thing is one of the most annoying questions it makes me want to stop writing it makes everyone want to stop writing. Like nobody enjoys getting that comment. Like, and I know that for some people they're like, Oh, well, like it's nice because it means people are reading. Yeah, that is nice. But when someone is asked, like when I've, you've gone like over a thousand times, someone asking you like, when the fuck are you updating? It no longer is nice. It's just rude. It's obnoxious. It's like, also like very because entitled, I, right? Cause it's like, I'm it, writing this and you know, maybe you like it, maybe you don't, but either way, I'm doing this and you get it for free. You get it, like, because I'm just sending it out there for the rest of fandom to enjoy or to hate or to just be like, man, that was all right. But, like, yeah, exactly. I'm doing this out of, like, I want to do it. So it's not for you, even if you love it. It's, it's a different kind of it's not for you, but it's like, this is for me, and it'll update when I'm ready for it to update, and if that's never, you know, it's you know, never. I don't even think that, like, I'm not even taking such, like, a combative stance on it. I'm just looking at it from, like, a general sense of, like, don't be a dick. Like, I am very, very sensitive to the fact that, like, and I don't understand how people don't remember this. Like, I do this shit in my spare time, right? Like, I have, I have, like, a lot of other stuff going on in my life. So when I have time to write or, like, when I make time to write, it's always fun. I obviously enjoy doing it. This is, like, the hobby that I sink a lot of time into. That's all fine, right? But that, obviously speaking, it cannot and never should be, like, my number one priority in life. Yeah. To, like, do fandom. Like, it can't be. Like, you're, like, you and that I both is have not a good way jobs. to sustain, like, a life. And I don't understand why people don't get it. And the other part of this that drives me crazy, right? It's not even just the, when are you going to update that's going to drive me, that drives me crazy. It's the people who, and it's never like said directly toward me. It's like more passive aggressively done. So like people will tag my stories or people will like be talking about them and like whatever. And I will see them on Pinboard or other places. And people refer to them as like, oh, I guess it's abandoned. So there's, like, I've definitely seen people say, like, oh, I guess Reconstruction is abandoned. Really? Yes. Interesting. Um, I know. The I was like, what are you, 12? Do you have, like, the, do you have the attention span of, like, a fucking gnat? It's not abandoned. I know it's been over a month since I've updated, but do you know how long a month is in, like, the span of human adult time? It is fucking two seconds. Like, yeah. it is four goddamn weeks. I had a bunch of stuff to do. You guys are, like, goddamn insane. Holy shit. Find your chill. It is not abandoned. Like, it's so rude. Stop asking people when things are going to get updated. Yeah. Also, stop asking if there's going to be a sequel. Oh my god, okay, this is the reason that I get real mad. Um, the number of comments that I got on Covered Love that weren't, I like this story, or like, I didn't like this story, or whatever, that were only, are you writing a sequel? You should write a sequel. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I get the impression from this that you liked it, but you can't just be like food. I want more food. Like, you have to be like, hey, this was delicious. Can I have some more? Like, and also, I think I was pretty upfront. Originally, I was like, there will never be a sequel to Covered Love. And I wrote some porn for it, like, three years later. Because I wanted to. And people are still like, when are you writing the sequel? And I'm like, 
one, I'm not, and two, technically that porn is the sequel, so, like, shut the fuck up. Yeah, but I think, okay, so I have to take this, I have to look at this from two separate perspectives, right? So one perspective is that the reason people are asking these questions is because there's no central clearinghouse for information anymore, right? So, like, once upon a time, like, when we were on LJ or whatever, or, like, like let's dial it all the way back to when authors had their own individual websites. If you wanted to go read someone's fanfic, you would go to their website. And on their website, there would be, like, a note that every single person would see because it's version-controlled and it's the only fucking place and the only way that you would ever see this thing. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, a note at the top that says, like, Please stop asking me when I'm going to update. Also, there's not going to be a sequel. And so people would all see it and be like, oh, okay. Whereas nowadays, like, when I say something like, stop asking me when I'm going to update, I'm usually saying it, like, either as an answer to a Tumblr ask where I cannot fucking bear it anymore, or, like, I'm putting it on Twitter or something. And those are so ephemeral, right? Like, you have to catch it right at that moment. Yeah. There's not a place where, like, I just put it there. And even if I did, even if I put it into the layout of my Tumblr, which I would never bother with, or if I put it into the layout of my Twitter, nobody reads my actual Tumblr page. No one reads my actual Twitter page. You see me on lists. You see me, like, when I post. Like, I could put it in my profile for my AO3, but, like, I put a bunch of stuff in that AO3 profile for people that they still ask me about because it's not like they don't check it. So unless I'm constantly saying it, no one is going to catch it. And I don't want to be constantly saying it because, like, I always feel like a jerk when I do. Yeah, that's fair enough. So that's, like, that's one perspective. The other perspective is it's still rude, which means you still shouldn't do it. It is rude. The end. Yeah. It's so rude. It's, it's rude. Stop doing it. Thanks. Okay. In conclusion. In conclusion, let's move on to another question. Um, Jemmy999 wants to know what our current fandoms are, what we should be, or what we're thinking that people should be watching, reading, listening to, and avoiding. You go first. Oh, God. Um, sadly, I'm still reading Teen Wolf (laughs) because I haven't found, like, a new major obsession, and that fandom is mostly over, so (laughs) you can hate me for saying that now. Um, I'm reading a bunch of Kingsman, even though I hate the movie because I like filth. I say I'm reading a bunch of Kingsman. I'm basically just reading what you're writing. I'm not writing that much. Yeah, so that's a thing that's happening. Um, you know, when Miss Fisher comes out, I'll be real amped up on Miss Fisher again. I'm still watching a bunch of terrible television shows. I don't know that I would recommend any of them. Yeah, I just, like, it's it's funny, right? Because I think I'm still consuming media. I'm just not necessarily, like, fanishly interested in it. Yeah, it's interesting. There's nothing that's really, like, you know, there's a difference between, like, the way I consume media uh, in what I would term as, like, a norm way. It's, like, almost the way my mom watches television, right? Where I'm like, yeah, I watch this. I don't really know why, and I don't feel passionately about it. And then there's stuff that I watch, and I'm like, instantly, this is going to ruin me for the next five years. Um, and right now nothing is like this is gonna ruin me it's just like yeah I'm watching that it's fine I mean I've been rewatching Pokemon lately and I'm not saying that you should watch that girl what the fuck I'm sick you know what's great about Pokemon you put it on you pass out no I'm sick no 
Now I don't know what's great about Pokemon. You pass out, and when you wake up and it's still happening, it doesn't matter if you missed anything, because it's always the same. Girl. All I can say is, girl. You don't understand, like, how bad sick I am. Girl. That's, that's my life right now. Girl. Yeah, you should all feel real bad. I'm mostly listening to podcasts right now. Let's put it that way. Girl. And working. I'm doing a lot of work. Uh, yeah, me too. Actually, I think both you and I are, like, really unfun to answer this question recently, just because, like, We're pretty I think I've very publicly stated that the reason that I'm in Kingsman is, like, is a coping mechanism for how shitty my life has been since January. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't look like that's changing anytime soon. Yeah. So I'm Kingsman fandom. It's, there's just like a lot of terrible, mostly work-related shit that is happening, I think, to both of us right now. Yeah. And I think the thing that like, uh, until you're actually like working, it's not going to make sense to you when I say this, but like, even though like I get to leave the office and come home. When I get home, I just want to like collapse. Yeah, like, you literally don't have the fucking strength to do anything else. Like, all you, like, you know that you have, like, this hour to lie here, and then you have to feed yourself, bathe, and go to sleep so you can do it again. Yeah, it's, I don't even, listen, like, okay, so Wednesday and Thursday, I was only conscious, like, very briefly. I answered some work emails in the time that I was conscious and, like, ate some shit, and then would pass out again. And on Friday, I was like, I still feel like, like, I should not get out of bed. But there's so much work to do, and a lot of it needs to be done today that I have to go in. And I went in, and I only took, like, a 15-minute lunch break. And other than that, I did uh, galley edits on, like, 90% of a 300-page book before sitting on a conference call for an hour where someone told me that, like, all of my work is terrible. And then I came home and passed out. For, like, 10 years, MK. Welcome to my life. Yeah, I don't know how you do this. Like, I was just like, I don't have, like, the energy or, like, any, like, literally, my, one of my managers looked at me to be, like, WTF when this lady said I'm terrible at shit, and I just kind of shrugged, like, I was like, I don't have the strength or, like, I should just be in bed right now. I literally don't have the energy to care. Yeah, I, there's, there's definitely a point where you're just like, "Mm, whatever. I mean, uh, and the point is that, like, it's been, like, a really rough 2015 so far. Um, so I've really not been doing that much, right? Like, so I've been I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. I've been – I can't even say that I've been reading a lot. Like, I just started reading again. Um, I've yeah. been reading the – I've been reading that book by um, Richard Anderson about the Huntsman Tailors on Savile Row. Good. Which is hilariously a book I owned like, long ago, like, I bought this years ago, and I was, like, about halfway through it, and part of the reason why I was, like, like, something was sticking with me about some of, like, the interviews and and stuff I had read about the movie Kingsman, I was, like, this sounds really familiar to me, like, this shop front looks really familiar to me, like, and it can't just because, like, psychically I'm married to Colin Firth on the astral plane, so I, like, was digging around, I found this book, like, on my shelf, with, still with a bookmark in it, and I was like, holy fuck, I literally have a book about this tailor shop <laughs> that, like, Kingsman is based on, so I've been reading that, I've been reading, um, I told someone else this, too, I've, I've been reading, like, a nonfiction book called Meet Me in Atlantis, about a guy who, um, a journalist who decides to try and figure out, like, 
sort of the historical myth of Atlantis and why it's still so resonant and where the less cuckoo researchers are with the with this story. Good. And it's so far really interesting, like travel log slash historical um, story. And um, that's about it. Trying to keep my head above water and apparently like laying down 13K of absolute filth garbage that everyone read in publicly inappropriate places if the comments are any telling indicator. I was surrounded by children on the TTC and I was like, well, I'm doing it. I'm reading this. I'm someone still- else was like, I read this in the grocery store. Someone else was like, I read this. My mom called me and I wanted to die. Like, I was in the <laughs> middle of reading this and I was like, man. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about the timing there. Um, yeah. All I've been doing is, I haven't even been reading. Like, I've barely read anything because I just don't have the time or energy. Like, I literally, I just want to, like, collapse. Um, I've been doing some beauty blogging on one of my side blogs and, like, taking baths and going to bed. That's my life. Cool. Let's let's move on because this is sad. <laughs> it is pretty <laughs> You asked me a year ago and I'm like, everything's great. Right now I'm like, kill everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, from Pet Liz Sh. I'm definitely saying that wrong. I'm so sorry. Hi, I love the slash report and would like to sincerely thank you for all the hard work you put into it, as it really has brought a lot of joy to my life. My relationship with fandom has, for the most part, been that of voyeurism, so it's nice to feel a little more connected to the community, which is awesome. I'm glad you're enjoying that, bro. Indeed. Um, Anyways, thanks, and if it's not too presumptuous, I'd also like to ask if you were going to, or if you already have and I missed it, talk about Legend of Korra. Canon Korasami is so good for me in so many ways. Did we already talk this about this? Our, no, this is, a, this is with you. Okay, so I fucking love Legend of Korra. Like, I tried to watch Avatar The Last Airbender. No, I did. I watched most of it, but I had to fast forward a lot because I did not enjoy it. Yes, the cartoon. Like, I just, I did not. Those kids are too young, and there was a lot of snot happening. Um, but I love Legend of Korra for a lot of reasons. So, one, if you haven't watched Avatar and you, like, weren't particularly interested in it, you might actually really like Legend of Korra. For one, it's about, uh, the people in it are a little bit older. I think they're, like, in their late teens, probably, when the show really starts. And they really, like, mature as it goes on. Um... The main character is fantastic. The opening, I don't know if, like, if you guys know anything about, or if you, Prue, know anything about Avatar. But nope. essentially, it takes place in a fantasy world, which you would hate. Um, where different people can manipulate different elements using basically oh, right. different forms. This is already, yeah, this is already it's, it's not for you. Um, but they can <laughs> yeah. manipulate different elements basically using, like, uh, chakra and different martial arts films. So it's a little Naruto in that way, except that like, it's just elements. Right. Um, and there is always one person on the planet called the avatar who can manipulate all of the elements. And so they become sort of like a, I don't want to say a spiritual leader, but like, you know, a public figure who is supposed to like lead people, um, and solve international problems. Fair enough. So the previous avatar, has died it's been a little while and they're always like looking for who the next one is and like these people will go from village to village or whatever being like do you have anyone who can bend more than one element do you whatever and they'll like test them and be like yes this is the one and they show up in what's called water country because each of the countries is like affiliated with an element 
This is very Naruto. Yeah. So they show up in Water Country, which is basically like the Arctic, um, yeah, probably the Arctic Circle because they have polar bears, not penguins. <laughs> um, and they're like, hey, we heard that you might have a child who's the Avatar. And you just see this like mother living inside like an igloo house. And like the house is like pretty fucked up from like damage. And the mom just looks so resigned. And she's like, yeah, I do. And they're like, <laughs> where is the child? And then you just see, like, a door slam open, and this, like, adorable six-year-old bursts in. She's like, I'm the avatar! And she starts, like, shooting, like, fire and water at people. And they're like, yep, that's her. <laughs> so then you see her, like, I don't know, it's, like, ten years later or something. She's like, whatever, 16 or 17. She's been training in isolation, trying to, like, master the elements. She's still not that good at it. Um, and she basically, for reasons runs away from the pole uh, and, like, to this city that was founded by the previous Avatar. And it's just like, I'll figure it out when I get there. And she gets there, and they're like, do you have money to pay for food? And she's like, no. Uh, anyway, so she gets a bunch of friends, and they have adventures, and there's, like, some romance, whatever. The upfront romance, at first I was like, yes! And then, like, ten episodes later I was like, no! What I actually want is for Cora to get with this lady who is not, like, she doesn't have any bending ability. She can't manipulate any elements. But what she can do is build awesome robots and, like, machines. And uh, they legit did it, because the last season of Korra didn't air on television. It was just, like, direct on the internet. And they were like, we can do whatever the hell we want now. So it's going to end with, like, a beautiful lesbian romance. Cool. Yeah. Um, Oh, and the end of season three is, like, a two-part what I would call Sailor Moon meets Pacific Rim battle of giant spirit robots in a lake. And I loved it. And hmm. you would hate it. I loved it. I just like, literally you were like, it's Sailor Moon. And I was like, Oh God. Plus Pacific Rim. And I was like, Oh God. <laughs> and yeah. then you like destroyed robots by making it spirit robots. Yeah, Why? but there's, like, a bunch of other robots in the show that are just straight-up robots. That shit's great. Okay, another Anon. Love the new format. On The Librarians, I went into it having watched the movie, so I expected the cheese factor. I know it's bad, but I enjoy it because of that. What things have you guys learned from doing the podcast? Has it helped you to get a better idea of this crazy thing we love called fandom? Are there any fandom things, fixed trends that you've been really enjoying? Hmm. Hmm. I think this is a really good question. You know what? When we started this, we didn't know anything about podcasting. And within, like, you know, the first year, I was like, we know everything about podcasting now. We don't. But, like, I was like, we've learned so much in one year of doing this. Yeah. That, I think the first year was definitely, like, the steepest learning curve. Yeah. In of um both like setting like I for those of you who like joined us like maybe in the last two years you probably don't know like um when we started it was literally on a whim like we did this basically for funsies one day without any consideration or planning for long term which I think is probably why it has gone long term if we had like really regimented like like created a plan of action like who knows whether or not we would have seen it through we weren't even um, planning without a the podcast. flexibility of being able to fail <laughs> 
yeah, we weren't even planning to have, like, a podcast. We were like, well, we'll record this Skype conversation because we think that it could be cool, and we'll post it on, like, DreamWit and see what happens. Exactly. And, like, that was, like, early days. We did that, and I think that we must have posted it, like, as a SendSpace link or something like that. And then, eventually, as we started going, like, remember how we bought that unlimited, quote-unquote, hosting service? And they kicked us off because we were using too much bandwidth, and we're like, but this says unlimited. And they were like, it's not that unlimited. (laughs) And they were like, we'll give you some extra money. And we're like, we don't need, like, literally the only thing we needed your service for was this, so no thanks. I was like, Um, we paid for this unlimited service. Now we have a different unlimited hosting, which, like, knock on wood, so far has not been like, hey, get the hell out of here. Yeah, thank you guys, DreamHost. DreamHost, you're doing a bang-up job. You guys are the best. Thank you so much for not booting us off your servers. Yeah, Um, So there's that. I think that in terms of, like, beyond the, the general basics of podcasting, gosh, MK, like... Has there been anything that really stuck with you that we kind of picked up as we did this? I mean, I think the thing that kind of surprised me and that is, like, weirdly, like, heartwarming and touching is how, to me, from some of the comments and emails that we've gotten in the past, that this podcast is a way that people who feel kind of unable to access fandom or can't seem to find, like, the right on-ramp have at least a way to, like, listen in and get in on the conversation, right? Because... I think the fandom can be really hard to break into. And this is, if nothing else, like a way to like feel like you're literally part of a discussion. Yeah. I mean, we've gotten so many messages that are like, this is my favorite thing. This is my favorite thing to hear from you guys. It's really moving is when people live in like a rural area and they're like, not only can I not meet fandom people here, there aren't any other fandom people here. Cause I live in like a village of like this many people in farm country, America, like To have those people be like, it means a lot to be able to, like, listen to you guys on a podcast because it feels like I can talk with other fangirls in person. It's just, like, that's probably the best thing about this. Yeah, and you you guys know what the funniest thing about this is? I think more than one person has confessed that when you guys listen to the podcast, sometimes you talk back to us um, as if you were actually in the room. Here's the best part of this. You know how, like, sometimes there are episodes that, like, MK and co. do or, like, that I do and that MK is not on? Oh, my God. When there are episodes that MK does and I'm not on, when I'm listening to them, I totally talk at the podcast. I do the same thing. I'm like, no, disagree. (laughs) I know, it's just like, oh, thank God I wasn't there. I would have been interrupting the whole time to be like, y'all bitches cray. Yeah, 100%. I can't wait for you to hear, like, the hair episode of Female Gaze and be like, no, everything, no. Well, no, I have no opinion about hair. That's, like, why I wasn't on that episode. Although, you guys do have a tendency to just, like, mock me whenever I'm not there for an episode (laughs) of Female Gaze. We only mocked you a little bit, but you know what, like... I went into that episode being like, I don't really have strong opinions about hair. And I left being like, I have so many opinions about hair. (laughs) All right. I'm really excited then. Yeah. Um, In terms of fandom things, fixed trends that we've been really enjoying. um, I just really like that people are like, I think there was a stretch of time there where people were like, I can't post this on AO3 because it's only like 2000 words. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with posting 2000 words. Like, just just go for it. I want to read this no matter what. So lately I find people have been posting stuff more that is short. And I'm like, I'm totally into this. Right. I like it's still, time. like, the best format for reading. Yeah. I, I would much rather you put it on AO3 than you put it on Tumblr and then I can never find it again. Especially if people change their usernames and then, like, I try... You know, like, sometimes someone reblogs, like, a Tumblr ficlet 
and it has the, like, read more, and you click on read more, and it goes to that person's blog, which doesn't exist anymore, and so you can't read it, and I'm like, so I just got, like, the first taste is free, and now your dealer is in jail. (laughs) Like, that's what just happened to me. Good. Oh my god. That's what happened. It's like, hey, do you love this premise? Here's, like, the first 500 words. It's written. It's great. You're gonna love it. And then you go there, and they're like, (laughs) you'll never find that again. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, like, the, I, I think that, like, what was the trend that recently, like, I saw for a while, and then I can't tell if it's because it's just, like, blacklisted everything or it doesn't happen <laughs> anymore as much? Not, not thick? Like, oh, yeah. Like, I'm not like, into not, not thick. really a story. It's, they, like, start off by talking about what it would be about, and then it sort of becomes thick, but then it might, like, devolve back into just, like, talking about what would happen. Which, yeah. like, is kind of how you and I would spitball something over chat, but then we would actually write it. Yes. I mean, that is the secondary component of it. Like, not fake, I totally get, because that's the beginning of every story. Yeah. For me, at least. You, like, but send like, someone an email, and you're like, yo, what if this happened, and then this happened, and then you have, like, five paragraphs of it, and you're like, I guess I should write a proper intro now. Yeah, but, like... The key is that you have to like, actually write it afterward. I mean, like, you don't have to write it afterward, but, like... If you're going to post like it. If you wrote afterward. <laughs> yeah, it would just... It would be a lot better for me if you would just write the full... It's not that much extra work if you've already plotted everything out and written, like, half of it. Yeah. And that's not true. It's actually a lot of work. It's actually a lot of work. Yeah. I was like, I was like, we're trying to get, we're trying to maintain the lie. But it feels really good to get it done. Trust me. Okay. As someone who writes short things, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. It doesn't just feel good to get it done. It feels amazing, but it takes so fucking long. You say short things and I'm like, 30K, that's like, so. and then I'm like, it's actually, it's, it's pretty short. It just seems to be like the natural length that I fall into. So fucking short. Like, I tried to write a PWP and it was 27 pages. <laughs> yeah, but that's you. That's how you roll. I'm so broken. You're also, like, a lot more descriptive than I am. Oh, it's because I hate myself and I just want to have carpal tunnel as quickly as possible, clearly. <laughs> it's because you have a very specific writing style. I do. I do a very specific writing style, and I have to live with that terrible, terrible burden. Um, yeah, I, 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 I can't think of any major, like, other fanish trends that we've picked up on no. from doing this podcast. I think in many ways fandom stays the same. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the shows and the movies and the books change, but we're still writing coffee shop AUs. Do you know what, though? I will say this. I think that the big change is the thing that we talked about before. What's that? that there isn't really mega fandom anymore. Oh, you mean how, like, SGA was all-consuming? Like, everyone on the internet was SGA? Yes. And, like, how Harry Potter was all-consuming. It was, like, a massive mega fandom. Yeah. Like, those don't really exist anymore. That's true. It's actually kind of interesting, because, like, one of the great things about being in SGA or, like, being in Harry Potter was that I never ran out of stuff to read. Yes. Right? And, like, I mean, I told you that I haven't really had time to read lately, but also if you looked at my Kindle and, like, the stuff I've been sending my Kindle from the internet, there's not that much there considering that I haven't had time to read. Yeah. It's actually kind of weird and sad. Now I'm sad. Why did you do that to me? 
No, it's not on purpose. It's just that, like, I think that, I don't know. I feel like this, this goes to my whole thing where I feel like the fanish outputs have really changed. So I just feel like there's probably, like, less fic being written. Yeah. I mean, I think we've talked before about how fandom goes in waves of, like, fragmenting and then coalescing again. And we're definitely in, like, a big fragmentation phase. Yeah, and that's at, very true. At some point, the platform will change or something will change. Um, and hopefully we'll become more coalesced again. I hope so. I mean, like, I... I was having this thought, though, because um, as I'm, like, psychically preparing myself for the upcoming, you know, X-Files bonanza, Uh um, part of that is basically I was, like, digging through, like, old fanfics and, like, looking at old meta because part of what I loved so much about the X-Files was reading episode meta. And, like, none of that textual stuff exists anymore for, like, modern fandoms. Um, And I just wonder whether... I don't know, like, I, I just don't know whether or not we will, like, ever have, like, heavily text-based fandoms like that anymore. And I don't know whether my love and my longing for that is because I'm an old person mm. or because it's just me personally, right? Because, like, I'm very text-oriented. And this is partially because, like, I'm not a fan artist, right? So, like, I would happily give up every stupid gift set in the world if I could just have more text and more meta Um, and that's the way I like interacting with fandom though, but I don't know whether or not other people have that similar thought. Oh, see, I have this different, so I, I love having the text and I'll talk about like the way I use the text later. Um, but the gift sets are really helpful for me because there are things that like, if people were just writing about it, I'm not reading that. I'm not interested in that. But if I see a gift set, I kind of like, I think because, you know, you and I have talked about our like mini ADD. I'm like, oh, hey, that's moving. And then I start reading, like, the text on the gift set, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I, like, won't think about it until I've seen, like, 800 gift sets for something, and I'll be like, you know what? I should just, like, sit down and watch that. What's the worst that could happen? And then I'm in a fandom. That's how that works. Um, But in terms of text, when I get into a fandom, I need to, like, this is a terrible thing that I did when SGA like, when that happened to me, I can't even say, like, when I got into SGA. It's when SGA happened to me. Because <laughs> it did. Um, I watched the first two seasons in one weekend. Like, that's all I did. And then I read mm-hmm. everything I could find about it, except fanfic. Like, I did not read any fanfic. And then I sat down and I wrote, like, three fanfics in one weekend. And then I was like, now that I've put some stuff on paper, metaphorically speaking... Now I feel like I am okay to read fic, but I needed to, like, ground canon first. Do you know what I mean? Like, what are the characters actually like in the show? What are the actual things that happen in the show so that I can write something before I get, like, confused by fanfic? Because after I've been in the fandom for, like, a while, I'm just like, yeah, let's do this. That's that's canon, right? Or, like, that's totally something <laughs> that is, like, at least loosely based in canon. And then I'm like, no, 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 that's literally just fandom. Like, I have no way of telling those two apart after, like, two months in a fandom. I do not have that issue, but that is very interesting. Good like, to know. This is, like, that time when I, like, literally this same weekend where all I did was watch and read SGA because I'm very obsessive. I went into yes. the kitchen to make myself a snack and I was going to put some lemon in my water and I like dropped the lemon and I was like, I can't do that. I'm allergic. And then I was like, no, I'm not. Like you idiot. <laughs> Rodney McKay is allergic to lemons. 
You would be, like, the perfect Manchurian candidate. 100%, which is why, like, we can never let that happen. (laughs) Okay. I would go down fighting. No, you wouldn't. That's the point. I you know, would believe. It's the worst. <laughs> you can't let this happen to me. I won't even know. Next question. Next, Next question. question. From Anon. Quick comment on fan art slash fanfic because we had that discussion on a previous episode. Right. Um, a sort of X of a money fic exchange would be Sci-Fi Girl 47's Prompts for Pi. Basically, she filled prompts from people who helped one of her friends. I feel like fanfic work on a co- fanfic could work on a commission basis, to be honest. But that idea kind of goes against your feelings on fan work. Which, yeah, like I, I understand like doing fic for charity, I guess, but I don't understand doing it. Uh, you know what it is? I'm against doing it for like individual charity. If someone is like, I really need help. Or, like, my friend really needs help with this. It's not even, like, I need help with this. It's like, this person needs money for blah. I'm like, no. Um, because I know that this doesn't work for everyone, but, like, when I am completely broke, like, when my cats needed, like, crazy medicine from the vet, like, they needed, like, major shit happening, I was just like, here is my credit card. Like, max it out. And then I just, like, didn't do anything for the next eight months while I paid off my credit card instead of, like, ever eating out or going to the movies. Like, that's, I just lived super poor. And I know that doesn't work for everyone, but, like, my gut instinct is, like, just max out your credit card, handle it yourself. Um, I don't want to ask, like, the public for help on anything, ever. <laughs> like, does, does that make sense, or am I just being an asshole? Oh, yeah, I, I feel like the way you're phrasing it could use some help, but, like, you know that I feel very similar to you. Like, you guys would find out that I needed money, like, shortly after I died of poverty, right? Like, you would, I would never, ever ask for cash, ever. Yeah, I think it's, you know what, it's... not like my parents give me money. I'm not even sure what it is, but you and I are both like, nobody can ever know that I need help with anything. I, I know what it is. It's not healthy, but, like, <laughs> it, is, it is what it is. At, at this point in my life, I'm not going to change. So it's fine. I I think that, like, my big issue is less about, like, the charitable stuff, which I think that everyone has their own opinion on. I have my own opinion on it, whatever. It's more about, like, the dichotomy, like, how it's not okay to charge for one thing, but it is okay to charge for the other thing. And um, the way that it almost extends toward, uh, like, the areas where a certain type of fan work is legitimized. So... Like, fan art is frequently legitimized, right? Like, the best examples I can think of are, like, fan artists like Ginger Hazing, who made really cute, fun art that, like, got picked up, and now, like, she works in the industry and all this other stuff. And that's all because her art was really, really popular. And even though it was technically fan work, it was okay. But I can never see something like that happening with fanfic. And I I don't know why that... if. If it's because it is, I don't know, because it, a lot of it is explicit, There, a lot of fanfic isn't explicit. And yet somehow it's still, there's that Rubicon between the two. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, and because I've always come up on the fanfic side of things, um, I adhere to, like, very old school mentality, you know? Like, and maybe it's because 
maybe it's because like the shit that we do can't ever be monetized. And maybe it's because the shit that we do can't ever be legitimized that like, we have these like really weird fight club rules where you should never charge for fanfic. You should never charge for fanfic. You're a monster if you charge for fanfic. Um, but that's like the mentality that I live with, right? Like I would never, ever fucking charge. for. Fanfic. Yeah. I mean, we can and have talked about that for like at least an hour before the one last thing I would say about it is the time that I am okay with you being, like, whoever pays the most gets this fic is if it's for a large-scale charity, such as, like, you know, we're, we're trying to save polar bears. And Well, I mean, like, I've actually done Sweet Charity twice before, I've right? I don't once. even know if they do it anymore. But basically, like, they pick a charity every year, and you can put yourself in for auction and say, like, what you are willing to do for... Um, if someone wins your bid yeah. and I find like, that's fine because the money is going into like a large charity and like every year, like rain gets X amount of money or something like that. And yeah. I'm happy to do that. If it's like um, even that, like, This is why I personally think the whole idea of like fanfic on commission is actually like quite difficult. It's like, as someone who has actually worked like written work for hire and like also written work for hire for fandom, it's hard. It's it is so really hard. hard. This is the thing where, like, when I write for a Yuletide, which I don't do every year, but I do a lot of years, I'm always like, this is going to be about a thousand words, and that's going to be it, because it's just, like, so, even if I'm like, I love this prompt, I'm still like, this is incredibly difficult. Yeah, and I'll tell you why I think, actually, like, writing fic for someone to spec in fandom is much harder than doing it freelance, um, well, not fic freelance, but, like, writing freelance, um, so, like, in my professional existence, like, I write freelance, so I will get spec of, like, what people want, and because that is a professional relationship where someone is cutting me a physical check, and, like, the person that I'm talking to is a professional, like, we have discussions, so, like, you give me your pitch, I will give you an outline. You tell me what doesn't work in the outline. I come back with adjustments. You tell me like this little piece of it doesn't work or you need this to link into something else. And I come back. And so before I ever put down words on paper, like I already have like a very clear idea of exactly what you want. And you have a very clear of exactly clear idea of exactly what you're going to be getting. Yeah. Um, with fandom, with spec, with like anything that you are ordering up or like commissioning, you are not going to have that level of back and forth because like part of the delight of reading a fic is reading a fic. Being and surprised. if you've already like, if you've already like outlined it out to that level of detail, like what is the fucking point? So it's, they're very different mechanisms. So whenever you're writing something for a Yuletide or whenever you're um, doing something for Sweet Charity, what I found was that like, yes, someone would give you, like, an idea, but, like, it could be, like, way too specific to the point where it's, like, okay, you clearly wanted to write the story yourself, or, like, you yeah. wanted someone to write the story for you, but, like, the reason no one has is because no one else would write it that way. Yeah. So, like, I can't do it for you. That's um, definitely, like, sometimes when I get prompts, some of them I'm, like, yeah, I'll totally do this, except I'm going to do it totally differently like this when I'm taking the basic idea yeah. you gave me. You absolutely have to, because, like... There's there there's just like no way to do that, um, and or like it's so general that you're like, all right, well I hope that you like this. When I'm yes, done with it. these are the like the two. Th I'm like either it's too much or it's too little, and I never have found that sweet spot in between. Yeah, exactly. Which like I will say, like I'm pretty much always thrilled with whatever I get for Yuletide. Like this year I got an amazing, amazing Gravity Falls story from someone. And I was just like, 
I had no idea that it would be this fantastic. Like it was, it blew me away. It was so perfect. And I just like, you, you don't, I don't even know how that happens. It's astounding. Something about Yuletide is magic. Yeah, I've only hit Yuletide once, but it was fun. Yeah. Another person who wants to talk about fan art commissions, um, she says, I feel the same way. I think that artists are paid because the craft is more noticeable, you know? If the pics are not digital, there's also money going into canvas and paint, and that shit's expensive. It's definitely a factor, but it's moot as an argument because they're profiting and not just covering losses. Also, people can get a product that's a lot closer to what they want than if they commissioned fanfic. Anyways, I agree with you guys, but it's really complicated. Yes. Yeah, I think I think it's really complicated is a good place to leave that. Because it's one of those, like, there's not really, like, a correct answer. Yeah. Um, another Anon. I listened to the latest episode today. I'm sorry, I don't know when this is from, because, like, we just save up asks forever. Um, and was shocked to hear about the hockey RPF authors locking down their works. Do either of you think that adding a disclaimer to their work, something like this is intended for personal consumption, no permission is given to media outlets to sample or reproduce, would have any effect? It could be as simple <laughs> as a box to click when adding warnings. Okay, guys. I really, like, I find all of these attempts really charming. But I do have to say that, like, it doesn't matter. Like, you can put that up there. You can say, like, no media is allowed to sample or reference. It doesn't matter. That doesn't have any legal basis, and you can't stop them. So I don't think it would help. I think it would be pretty pointless. Plus, if they, if you had that up there, and then they, like, you know, quoted it in an article or whatever, anyway, um, what are you going to do? Are you going to be like, hi, my name is Moonclutz, and how dare you quote my, like, beautiful porn? No. Yeah, it's- it's it's just one of those things where it's like you can like the, like that's the whole reason why they're like this is the fucking consequence right like you want fandom to be more mainstream and people to understand you this is the consequence people are gonna look you can't def- you cannot determine the boundaries with which people like are interested in your subculture which is why like I think you and I and care like so firmly in camp like Fight Club like shut the fuck up yeah about because. I think you and I are both like, no, like, I don't want anyone ever talking about this, ever. I've literally had nightmares about it. (laughs) Well, like, I've been outed twice, so, like, very nightmare about it. Yeah, your life is like a magical, terrible chick flick. I know, I'm I'm well aware. Um, Kitsune C4. Oh, God, listening to the Naruto podcast, and, like... (laughs) I actually read all of it out of stupid completionist masochism. My face hurts now from laughing so much. Thank you, guys. Even though everything is super really ridiculous, I definitely cried my way through, like, half of the final chapters. I hate the ending, but it is finally done. Um, Also, I may start start watching Fresh Off the Boat based on Prue's summary. I will report back if I wind up curled around a bottle of whiskey in bed and crying of feels. So, look what you've done to something, <laughs> to someone. I have not ended up crying, it feels, from um, Fresh Off the Boat, but it's definitely, like, there are moments of it that are like, oh, it's too close. Is it, isn't it a comedy? It is, but you know what, like, the it's too close is, like, all the other kids are like, you gotta be in school, good job, and it's like, you got an A-minus, what the fuck? 
And then, like, after school, having, like, more school for, like, learning Chinese against your will, even though there are no other Chinese people around, I was like, oh my god, PTSD flashbacks. This is like me watching Community and being like, it's too real. It's, yeah, exactly. Okay. Go ahead. Um, oh, I know. Uh, here's an Anon who says, hey, I think Slash Report should not have a guy on the panel. Sorry? Nothing against Paul, but a guy just brings different energies to it, and it was just too weird, you know? Slash Report is just this safe space for pervert ladies for me. And the combos about MK having brutal penises and Prue being in physical pain over Lee Jong-suk's plush lips just won't happen, I think. Um, so we actually, no, we talked about this after we had Paul on the episode. Because uh, you and I were both like, Oh, they just don't know that, like, Paul is definitely, like, even though he's not, like, in fandom, he's he's one of us, and he would definitely make those jokes right along with us, but I realized that you guys don't know Paul, and we decided to never have a dude on the podcast ever again, because we actually <laughs> talked to some other people who were also like, yes, that made me uncomfortable, and I was like, oh. Like, it just- is interesting, right? It- because I think that they're right, that having a guy on the episode really does bring in, like, a different energy. Um, which is absolutely fine for the most part, but like a hundred percent part of the reason that we've loved the podcast is because like, it's basically just like a giant, like puppy pile of like ladies who don't give a fuck about dudes. So yeah, I think it's a easy fix. Like we're like noted. <laughs> yeah. Noted. So, you know, it's not weird Anon, and you're not the only one who is like, Hey. No, we're absolutely not. I mean, like, Paul is great, and we will still, like, love Paul and, like, torture Paul with our love, but uh, we'll just spare him from the podcast going forward. Yeah. Oh, and I told Paul that, by the way, and he was like, excellent. That means I'm the only man who will have ever been on Slash Report. <laughs> he was so happy. Such a fucking weird. Yeah. Oh, my God. Anyways. Um, Somebody wanted to know if we would do a segment on the hot bottled mess that is Jupiter Ascending, and yes, we did. Uh, so we more than did the segment. Yeah, you should definitely go look up that episode on our website. It's from this season, season five. Yep, it was recorded in Texas on my iPhone. Yeah, the only sadness is that um, my recording failed. Like, it's a good thing we did two devices recording because I fucked it up. Yeah, um, but. Uh, I really thought that I was recording still when we had, like, 20 minutes of just pitching different Jupiter-sending AUs. You know what? It's good that those are gone to the ether. No, I wanted all of them. (laughs) They're so great. Discluded. By the way, as an asexual person who reads porn, I totally believe that Kakashi reads for the plot. My relationship with Viewfinder... Uh, um, if you read Shippuden chapter 2, uh, which is like number 246, she thinks, where Naruto gives Kakashi the new Icha Icha book, Naruto and Konohamaru then both do sexy no jutsu, and Jiraiya gets a nosebleed. Kakashi turns around, head still in the Icha Icha book, then makes a face like, mmm, about them being disruptive. Asexual Kakashi headcanon, pass it on. I always thought that Kakashi was just, like, his standards were better than Jiraiya, but I could totally, like, yeah, he could be ace. I'm pretty much ace, and I read porn. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, I've never really, like, I'll be honest with you guys, I really have not spent a lot of time thinking, like, thoughtful thoughts about Naruto. (laughs) I mean, it's not the kind of thing I have deep thoughts about. I'm mostly like, God, I really want Kakashi and Erika to be, like, adorable together. I mostly have just been, like, my relationship with Naruto has primarily been like, yeah, magic ninjas! <laughs> and like, ooh, this dochenshi is nasty. Like, that's pretty much my relationship. When we were in Japan, and we went to the dojinshi <laughs> store, like, okay, the store, guys, is organized by fandom, so, like, it's alphabetical by fandom, and you can, like, work your way through and be like, oh, yeah, even if I don't read Japanese, I pretty much know where I am in the store right now. That is correct. Because you just have to know, like, the basics of, like, our alphabet and, like, the way that the Japanese alphabet works, which is not complicated in terms of, like, here are the basic sounds. Um, and, you know, like, we, like, raced through A through something else. Like, that was no problem. And then we hit N, and I think we were, like, in the N section looking at Naruto for, like, two hours. It was, like, two hours of arguing over who was allowed to buy which doujinshi, because, like, a bunch of us were like, I want this one, and it was like, well, only one of you can buy it. We had a mighty day. Yeah, it was, it was intense. That's our feelings on Naruto. (laughs) Who's allowed to buy this doujin? (laughs) We're bad. Sorry. Sorry, Don. Sorry we live bad lives. Hey guys, um, I hope you've been enjoying our throwback Ask Us Anything, which is like time travel Ask Us Anything. Magic. Time travel is magic, and apparently we can do it. The point is, this episode is getting real long, so we're actually going to cut it in half here, and you can get the other half of this episode, which, like, I promise you, is just as fucking hilarious, if not more so, next week. (laughs) Um, and again, we'll do, like, a little rapper intro where we talk about some more recent pieces before we cut into that. And on that note, um, we will catch you on the flip side. If you miss us during the week, come find us on Twitter at Slash Report or on Tumblr at Slash Report, even though we don't post anything there. You can find me on Twitter at Austin Imprinted, and you can find MK on Twitter at Moonclutz. Um, you can always visit our website at slashreport.com forward slash WP if you want to catch up on old episodes because it's been a while, but we have some awesome stuff on there and we're on iTunes. Um, we'll see you next week. Bye. See ya. Bye.